Hello and welcome to season three of Family Twist, a podcast about DNA surprises, found family, and amazing adoption stories. I'm Kendall Austin Stulse, and my partner is Corey Stulse. We've had fabulous guests during seasons one and two. We're sharing stories of people who identify as NPEs, also called not parent expected, others who found out they were donor conceived and have surprise siblings, and even others with unique family twists. We started this podcast to spotlight Kendall's adoption story and his discovering both sides of his biological family in 2017. So if you're just finding the podcast, we encourage you to start with episode one to learn more about Kendall's journey. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to season three of Family Twist. We're excited that you're back with us today. We've got a very interesting guest, Joyce Connolly author of the forthcoming book, Reunion in Stringtown. Welcome, Joyce. Hi, thank you for having me. Now, Joyce, I want to thank you in advance because I imagine this is not an easy story for you to tell. No, it really isn't. And I should probably clarify just because of your intro, my book, I am hoping to get my book published. I do not currently have a publisher, but I am definitely shopping it around right now. And I hope to do that sometime in the near future. And if I'm not able to, I will definitely self-publish it. Good. Well, hopefully somebody will hear this episode and say, you know what, I want to read this book and and reach out to you. That's right. Every little bit helps. (laughs) Where is a good place to start telling your story? I've always known that I was adopted. That was never a secret. But any, any and all details about that were a secret. And my story started with the death of my adopted mother. Shortly after she passed away, I was going through her belongings, what was the few things that she had left, and came across a court document, the official document that awarded me custody to them. It included my birth mother's name. And that was the first time I really had any real knowledge of where I came from, Hmm. as sketchy as it was, but it sort of propelled me into trying to find out more. It started me looking for more, and I started questioning family and and so forth, wasn't able to really find out anything through them. Hmm. Had you ever talked to your adopted mother about who your birth mother might be? I had normal curiosity about where I came from, and but all of my questions were deflected. Either I was just dismissed or she would get angry mm-hmm. and accuse me of not loving her, which in the end turned out to be true. We had a very difficult relationship that really for the last few years of her life, I had nothing to do with her. Okay. Um, that part of my story was very difficult. And on other occasions, she would just get mad or she would just, you know, say, oh, I don't know, or something to that effect. Mm. It turned out that she obviously knew quite a bit and just withheld it from me. Wow. Were there other children in the house when, 
you growing up and, and was she a single mother or did she have an adoptive father as well? Uh, it was a little unusual. My adopted parents were about 40 years old. My father was 40. My adopted mother was 39 when they finally got around to adopting me and I was the only child they ever had. So that was kind of unusual that they waited so long. And in fact, they had they had to do it privately because they had already aged out of the normal system. They couldn't go to like Catholic charities or those mm -hmm. places because of their ages. They had to go through a private adoption process. My mother, my adopted mother worked in a, in a pottery shop and apparently she knew someone there who knew an unwed mother mm -hmm. and connected us all together. And that's how the the adoption came about. How old were you? I was an infant. The uh, adoption was actually mostly completed before I was born. I went straight from the hospital to my adopted family. So I never spent any time with my birth mother. And I went home with them immediately. And then they had to go from from the time they took me home, the adoption wasn't final for another six months. So there was a six month kind of a, you know, money back guarantee policy yep. that they had <laughs> if they decided they didn't like me. Yep. <laughs> my, mine was nine months, so I can relate. Uh -huh. Again, those kinds of questions were not welcome. Mm. And so at a pretty early age, I learned to just stop asking questions. And Sco was 46 when she passed away. Wow. Just, you know, stuffing my curiosity down and trying to pretend that I didn't really care. And I thought I was doing a pretty good job. I thought I had convinced myself that I really didn't want to know because after all, this woman who gave me up apparently, I thought I had convinced myself that I didn't want to know because I figured that my birth mother gave me up because she didn't want me so turning back quest that mm -hmm. I was, I was kind of bound to go on at that point. Huh. Did her name ring a bell at all? Was it somebody that you, know, you might've encountered in life? No, none, mm -hmm. not at all. She, how, she was an older person herself. She was 40 when she gave me up. She had already been married and divorced. She had two children from her marriage who are obviously older than me. And of course, I didn't know any of this at the time, but she apparently had, you know, gotten divorced and then got into some kind of a relationship where she ended up being pregnant and did not want to be. And back in the 50s, abortion was not really a viable option. So she put me up for adoption. And so from there, I found out initially her, her married name. And then through that, I was able to find out that her maiden name was Smith. Mm. Oh, that's an easy one to track down. Anne Smith. Oh, wow. And I had no idea where she was from. All I knew really was that my adoption had taken place in Southern California in 1954. 
my mother was the oldest in her family and she was quite a bit older than any of her siblings. And I asked her siblings and they all basically said she had already married and left home and we were still kids and we didn't know what was going on. I did have one aunt, uh, my, my adopted father, his brother's ex-wife. She and I had stayed in touch over the years. She and I were close. Well, I contacted her when I first, you know, discovered all this. And she actually came to visit me not too long after that. She shared a, a little bit of information, which was intriguing, but difficult to confirm. One of the things that just really made me laugh was she, you know, she told me the adoption was, had been private, privately arranged, and, and that she believed that there had been other children involved. Her, her voice dropped to a whisper. You know, math is not my strong suit, but I'm just like adding up numbers in my head. And, and I'm guessing at this time, Ancestor.com was not a thing. That was not a place for you to start your search. Right. This was actually in 1992 when my adopted mother passed. And there was no internet whatsoever at that point. And everything I did had to be done on paper. I started out by joining a, a support group, a local adoption support group. They helped me get uh, what they called uh, non-identifying information from the state of California, which was basically um, two double-space typed pages that said your mother had blue eyes. Mm -hmm. um, and they were the ones who were helping me. They they were able to find out that that her maiden name had been Smith, hmm. which wasn't very helpful. <laughs> Just um, pounding the pavement, writing letters, pulling my hair out, trying to find some kind of information beyond the non-identifying information that they gave me and just really wasn't getting anywhere. They, they did tell me in the non-identifying information that she had been married and that there were two children that, that my aunt had told me was true, but no names, no places. I didn't know where my birth mother had been born. All I knew was that at some point she had been in California. I didn't know if she was still in California, if she was still alive, you know, nothing. Wow. What keeps um, driving you? What's driving that passion for years and years with running into dead ends? Well, I think it's partly the fact that I trained as a journalist. Uh, I, from very young, I wanted to be a journalist. I was really inspired in, in school by all the president's men and the whole Watergate scandal. I, I grew up in Whittier, California, which is hometown of former President Richard M. Nixon. Mm -hmm. And I was on the paper at the time that Watergate was, was active and all of that. I think channeled me towards just being a dogged pursuit of the story. You know, I, I just kind of kept running out of things to do. The, one of the funny things, coincidences that happened was I, through my support group, they suggested that I, I found out that my birth father had been from Indiana. And so that was all I knew about him. And this person suggested that I, find a adoption support person in Indiana and get that person to try to help me find relatives 
or possible relatives of his. Hmm. And I had contacted this lady and ended up talking to an elderly gentleman with the same last name as my birth father, which was George. And it turned out many years later that he was, in fact, the cousin of my of the man who was on my birth certificate. It was actually not my father. Uh -huh. I thought that was kind of an interesting thing that I had I had found someone, but I didn't know what I had. I plow through three by five index cards and looked at microfiche and all the old fashioned things. We just breezed through his, found all kinds of relatives right off the bat, has since been able to trace family all the way back to like Oliver Cromwell and you know, stuff like that. And meanwhile, I was sitting there beating my head against the wall, not being able to find, you know, my birth mother. Hmm. Right. And I was happy for him, but it was extremely painful mm -hmm. to watch sure. him have so much success so easily and to not even be able to find out the name of my brother and sister. You know? And so finally, I found a private detective I had given up on just the support group wasn't really able to do much for me, but I did decide one day kind of out of the blue, I thought what I really need is an actual detective, not, not another adopted person who's just wants to be helpful. Not that I don't appreciate those people because they tried really hard to help me, but I needed somebody who could really ferret out information and I happened to find a woman who was based in Los Angeles, which is where I was from. And, and she immediately said, you need to get your court records opened. I had tried to get my court records open and they had denied my petition. And she said, oh, five years ago, that's ages. Well, there's probably actually managed to get not just the, the basic court documents, but they actually turned over all of the notes that the social worker took during the qualification process. And so she had notes on both my adopted parents and my birth mother. And it was extremely interesting to read all of that. She was 40 years old when she gave me up and she gave me up because she didn't want me. And it was very clear that she didn't want to see me. She didn't want to know what my name was. She didn't want to hold me. None of that stuff. She, she checked no on all the boxes. Hmm. So that kind of confirmed my worst fears. My friends had encouraged me through the whole time by telling me, oh, you're going to find out that she really loved you and she's going to be so happy you, you found her and that sort of thing. And she would have had to have gone through a major change for that to be mm -hmm. true. Mm -hmm. I also found out that looking through all of that information, it was pretty clear that the man on my birth certificate was not my father. I couldn't prove it because we didn't have DNA yet. Mm -hmm. All the information that I was compiling made it less and less likely that that he could have been my father. And so we got this court record in 2001, very early 2001. 
still not really any internet to work with, but we did manage to track down my birth mother in 2002. And I finally decided that the best way to approach her would be to write her a letter. I was too afraid to try to talk to her on the phone just out of the blue and all of that. And so I I wrote a long letter. I included a picture of myself and I basically just said, I think that you're my mother and here's why I think that I'd love to have some contact with you. And I specified in there that I would call her on a certain day at a certain time to talk to her more about it. And when I called, a man answered the phone and I said, may I speak with Ann? George. And he said, no, you may not. And he hung up. Oh, at that point, I was pretty devastated. I figured that she knew when and where I was going to call and, and she must have arranged for this guy to answer the phone for her and do that. And I was really devastated at that point, And I really didn't know what I was going to do. I frankly was suicidal. Mm -hmm. um, just very upset. And, mm -hmm. A couple of days later, my private detective called me and said, how did your conversation go with your mom? And I told her what happened. But I wouldn't accept that as a, as a no. I would want to hear it directly from her. Well, this is going to have to be the end of the road. And she was so kind. She said, I don't usually want to do this for people. I don't want to get this involved, but I will call her for you and talk to her on your behalf and try to get a clearer answer from her. And we actually ended up doing it as a, a three-way call mm -hmm. without, you know, participating. And she called and we got a hold of my birth mother and they chit-chatted a little bit. And then Denise broke the, broke the ice and said, you know, I represent your daughter, Joyce, and so on and so forth. And she just got angry and said, you know, why would I want to talk to her? What does she want from me? You know, I, I don't want anything to do with her and so on and so forth. And at that point, you know, we, we didn't know anything about my siblings either. And my friend, Denise, the, the detective said, um, what about... Frank, which is my brother's name, where it, where is Frank? And she said, how should I know? I gave him up years ago. Mm -hmm. In a way, that was kind of the moment when I started to heal. Mm -hmm. She went on a bit about how glad she was to be rid of both of us before we finally ended the call, I didn't find anything out about my sister at that point. But to hear her talk about someone else that way made it clear to me that her feelings, her anger, her resentment, whatever was driving those emotions had nothing whatsoever to do with me. Mm -hmm. um, it was all about her and her problems, just through the emotional lens of what happened to me personally, because as it turned out, we, we found out after that call 
that my brother had in fact been made a ward of the state of California when he was about 10 years old, viciously abusive to him while she had him in her life. And when he got to the mental hospital, he was literally a basket case. Mm -hmm. He cowered in the corner. He couldn't interact with the other children on his ward because he was so terrified of everyone. And this was kind of a theme throughout his life. And he and I had very similar experiences with this woman. And I did eventually find out that my half-sister was living with my birth mother at the time that I found my birth mother. And since I had met with such strong rejection, I said, I'm just going to let this go for now. I'm not going to try to contact my sister. I was able to contact my brother. He and I had a great reunion Mm -hmm. and we went on to, to have a, a really good connection with each other in spite of his disabilities and everything. And, and, you know, I was able to be there for him in, in the latter part of his life. And I'm really grateful for that. But I was afraid to contact my sister at that moment. I thought, I'm just going to have to wait for my birth mother to die before I can contact my sister because they're in the same household. And so I, you know, tried to kind of put it aside for a while. And finally, one day, Denise, the private detective, called me up and said, how are things going? You know, have you found your sister? And I said, well, no, I was waiting for, you know, mom to die. And she said, well, I just checked the uh, social security death index and she died last year. So I was like, hooray, the coast is clear. I can can get a hold of my sister. And so we were able to come up with a current phone number for her. And I called her And it was uh, awkward at first, obviously, because she didn't know I existed, which I kind of figured. I told her I thought that she was my sister. And she said, oh, no, you can't be. I don't have a sister. And I, you know, went on to try to explain why I thought I was her sister and so forth. And she wasn't believing me. And I, I had found out in the paperwork that I had gotten, there was a name that had come up, Mrs. Farrell, who had somehow been involved in my adoption. And I don't even know exactly what her relationship was, but somehow she had been like a go-between mm-hmm. between my adopted parents and, and her. And just out of the blue, I said, did you know a Mrs. Farrell? And she said, oh my God, Mrs. Farrell was my mother's best friend. You can't be lying about that. There's no way you could know about her unless you were telling me the truth. And that was the moment when she, she accepted me. And again, with her, we had a, a great relationship while she lived. Both of my siblings have passed away now, but we had some time together. I got to meet her in person and spend a week with her at, at her house in Tennessee, which is where they were living at the time. And, and we spent hours and hours on the phone and then about six months after I found her, she died. Oh, wow. And so that was another real low point in my, yes. in my process. And then my brother passed away in 20... 
Um, Can we talk about your brother for a second? How did how did that reunion happen, and how, like, who convinced him that you were his sister? Oh, I I had you know I had found out through the detective that that he was living in a group home in Southern California, not too far from where I had grown up. Initially, I tried calling the group home directly, and the woman who ran the group home listen to my story and she said I can't give you any information without permission from the the state and so she kindly gave me the the contact information and I spoke to the social worker and I had to prove who I was I had to send paperwork to her and so forth but once I had done that she okayed for us to speak and I guess they prepped him. They let him know that who I was and so forth. That first phone call that I had with him, he already understood who I was Mm. and he was ecstatic. And shortly after that, I was was concerned that he might have me confused with his full sister, but he didn't. He understood that I was a second sister. Um, Shortly after that, I made plans to fly down LA to meet him in person. My husband went with me and we walked into the house and he jumped up from the couch and ran across the room and threw his arms around me. Well, that that was another really special moment. For sure. Um, was was he doing pretty well at that time? I mean, as you mentioned, as a you know the, the horrible situation he went through as a kid, and then being he was definitely scarred by all of that. But he had come a long way over the years. They had given him a lot of counseling. He had come out of his shell and still had some issues with people. There was another time when I went down to visit him where I took him out to dinner, and we were riding in the car to the restaurant and. I didn't want to bring up our birth mother because I didn't know how he would react, but he brought it up and he just started talking about how he knew that she didn't love him and she just didn't care about him. And I just put my hand on his, on his leg and I said, but we have each other now. Um, what, did your sister have any contact with him after he was sent away? She did. Both my birth mother and my sister had some ongoing contact, and it was it was always very upsetting for my brother. They basically told my birth mother to stop coming around because every time she came around, she never made an appointment like they asked her to. She would just show up randomly. She would bring him clothes, but they would be clothes that didn't fit him. And when the few times where he went home with her, they actually had to cut one of one of his home visits short because it he got out of control because he was so upset by what was happening around him. If he wasn't able to collect them all because she failed to provide her husband's social security number. And they sent her a letter asking for this, and she wrote back and said, basically, she didn't want to be bothered with having to find it out. It took me like 30 seconds to find it. Mm -hmm. 
you know, How do you think she maintained a relationship with your sister? I mean, your sister was living with her when she died. Sadly, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that, and my sister was definitely aware of this, that my birth mother was very promiscuous and she liked younger men. And my sister was basically served as man bait. <laughs> my sister was molested by some of the men that, that our, my birth mother dated. It was pretty horrific. And, and somehow, in spite of all that, my sister kept insisting that our mother loved her. Hmm. I, I thought that was just kind of, you know, a protection, sure. uh, yeah. you know, that she just wasn't ready to admit right. the full truth. But she was able to admit that she had been molested because of it. It was ugly. I should say when I found my sister, it turns out my sister had four children hmm. of her own. And oddly, one of them was named Joyce. <laughs> And Joyce and I are very close now, uh, along with her other two sisters. Yeah. And since my sister had passed away and my brother really wasn't able to answer a lot of questions about it, I'd asked my nieces what they knew about the whole situation. And they told me quite a bit about my birth mother and what she was really like. And they didn't like her either. Yeah. She wasn't any nicer to them than she was to anybody else in her life. It, I kept asking all these questions. And finally, one time Joyce said, you know what? I'm really not interested in, in this because her, her upbringing wasn't all that wonderful and she didn't really want to think about it a whole lot. Uh, but she said her sister-in-law was really into DNA research and I really ought to talk to her sister-in-law. So she connected me with uh, this other woman and through her, really, I'm not a, I'm not a scientific person. I'm a, I'm a writer, liberal <laughs> arts major, you know, and I was interested in DNA and all of that, but I really didn't understand all of the, the, the more details about the centimorgans, how many centimorgans do you need to be related and, and that sort of thing. And it was all pretty new at that point anyway. And she was really interested in it. I was busy, uh, trying to write my book and work a full-time job and, she sort of took over for me trying to research my DNA. And so the first thing I did was my, had my brother and I both do an ancestry DNA test, which confirmed that he was my half brother, not a full brother. And my niece Joyce did a test as well. So we had a pool to work with mm -hmm. and she, Jeannie, she had been working on my, on my research for several months. And she contacted me one day and said, when was your birth mother in Texas? Yeah, I, you know, as far as I know, she was never in Texas. She was from Ohio and she went to California and I think they were in Florida for a while, but, you know, never heard anything about Texas. And she said, okay, well, I've got some more to research to do. So, you know, see where this goes. And she called back and sent me a couple of emails and, you know, kept saying there's a connection in Texas. Somehow she was in Texas or, you know, somehow she was connected with somebody in Texas. And she didn't want to tell me any more than that because she hadn't verified anything. And so she took my DNA from off of Ancestry and uploaded it to 
three or four other sites like Dead Match and DNA Land. She she somehow found someone on my birth father's side, but we, you know, we weren't sure. And finally, one day she called and she said, I think I know who your birth father is. And I found someone who's related to you. And she can explain how you are connected to each other. And it turned out my husband and I had moved from California to Texas in 2005. And we moved here thinking I had no relatives here. And now all of a sudden this person was saying, I think you have connections in Texas, <laughs> which was another kind of serendipitous sort of thing. Yeah. It turns out there was a woman who was like a second cousin twice removed. Mm -hmm. We had a common ancestor that could only be on my father's side. We arranged to meet and it turned out that she had a daughter living right behind our, our store. My husband and I own a retail store here in Grapevine, Texas. Her daughter lived right behind the store. She had been in our store multiple oh times hmm. prior to this. Hmm. And, you know, we never knew that we were related. Hmm. And so we met for coffee and it turned out that she had already done her family tree pretty extensively. So she had a good picture of how we were connected. And she said, I know who your father is. He's one of four men, four brothers. And we'd have to do DNA testing on that, on one of them to verify it. But I think I know which one it is. And the one who was my father, as it turns out, had died in a car accident in California in 1956. Oh, wow. So he had never married, never had kids, but he had, you know, one brother still living. And it was this uncle in, that I have in Southeast Texas. And the family has a big reunion down there every year. Hmm. In 2017, I drove down there from Grapevine and spent the weekend with this uncle. And this lady who connected us came along. She brought several cousins with her. And we had a small reunion at my uncle's house and spent the weekend just kind of getting to know each other. Yeah, I'd, I'd finally close the loop on the on the whole mm -hmm. whole family i had yeah. a complete family all of a sudden how did it feel to get that closure finally oh it was great i was nervous because i didn't know how i was going to be received and he invited me to his house i knew it wasn't going to be horrible but still i was nervous and and he had some reservations he didn't want to do a dna test but that's okay we have enough other data at this point that we don't really need it but he didn't want to do that and i think part of the reason was because he had grown up believing that he was part choctaw indian hmm. and he didn't want to believe that that might not be true hmm. yeah yeah because uh, i told him there was no indian in my dna i had right. jewish and i even had some black but right. i didn't have <laughs> didn't have any choctaw indian well, he questioned that pretty, pretty strongly, you know, but whatever. That's okay. That's funny. The similarity yeah. of my story is that my father still says that his mother was 
part Native American and we don't have any Native American in our <laughs> on our side, you know. It's like Wow, okay, yeah. Dad. They hang okay. on to those things. Yep. You've got this closure now. You you've closed the loop. You you've connected to both sides of your birth family. Where do you go from there? And that's a good question because that's one of the things I write about in my book. What is my identity? Because I now I now have basically four families. Which one is the real Joyce? And I decided that I can't decide. I'm just a mutt. <laughs> and I'm part of all of these people, including my adopted family, despite the relationship or lack of it that I had with my adopted mother, my adopted father, he had problems. He had a drinking problem and he wasn't always there when I wanted him to be there. But what I realized in, as I got older was that the reason he wasn't there was because he was trying to avoid my mother. Right. It wasn't about me. Of course, being a child thought everything was about me and that he was he was staying away from me because he didn't love me or whatever. And I learned that that he had actually loved me very much and he just wasn't able to do much about it, to show it the way he might have if she hadn't been interfering all the time. Mm -hmm. And and despite her, I had good relationships with her siblings and their children. I have those people in my life and they're still just as much family to me as the birth people are. It was it was really cool though to to go to this first reunion in Stringtown, which is the actual name of the place where this reunion takes place that I go to every year. You know, it's a lot of people that my immediate family is, has all passed away, but there are all these, you know, second and third cousins and whatnot that are maintaining mm -hmm. this long-term connection with our past. It's given me a history. And that's one thing I think that always drove me through this whole thing was that I always wanted I've always been a history lover, and I always wanted to be able to have a history, not just my personal history, but ancestors that I could yeah. point to and, and say, my family came from so-and-so, and I couldn't do that as, as an adopted person. Mm -hmm. It makes me part of something bigger than myself to be able to say that my ancestors landed here and went there and fought in this and that fought in the Civil War, fought in the Revolutionary War, contributed to the history and building of this country. And that that means a lot to me. Sure. Well, it took a great many years, but Joyce the Journalist finally got her story. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I hope I can get it published. Uh, like yeah. I said, if I'm not able to find uh, a traditional publisher, I will self-publish it, but sure. I'm hoping I can get someone else to front the... <laughs> I've been down the, the self-publishing road. I mean, if, if you end up do, taking that path, feel free to reach out oh, uh, for some tips and tricks. I will. <laughs> yeah. It's been really fun. And I, as I mentioned earlier, I knew this was not going to be an easy story for you to tell. Probably not an easy one for people to even hear parts of it, but there were glimmers of sunshine in there along the way. And it sounds like the closure that you got was what you were looking for all along. It really is. And it's never going to feel the same. There's always that 
that kind of thing that you weren't there growing up with those people. Mm -hmm. I came into their lives after they were already adult. It's different. In, in a way, it's better because there's no emotional baggage. Until it gets created. Wait, that's my story. Right. Just wait, Joyce. Just wait. You don't have the ending of your book yet. No, all joking aside, it's great that you're able to share your story with us. And, you know, we'll be sending out all the good vibes to publishers so you can get your story out there because, you know, I'm sure there are others out there that can definitely relate to your situation. And the more people that are willing to tell their stories, I think the more it helps people heal. So thank you. Well, thank you again for having me on the show. Thank you so much for listening to Family Twist. We feature original music by Cosmic Afterthoughts. And Family Twist is presented by Savoir Faire Marketing Communications. Check out our website at familytwistpodcast.com for blog posts and all of our episodes. 